0: Vodka, Vodka, Vodka Vodka. Vodka O'Clock Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you're listening to Vodka O'Clock and of course um, you can check out everything at Com. This is going to be a recording from New York Comic Con, one of the panels there, the Dynamite Anniversary panel So I I can say that after uh, experiencing the panel, I think the... uh, the biggest audience reaction and most excitement came out of the announcement about the new comic book series that I might well be doing based on the character Shaft, which is, uh, you know, a great character from the 70s. You guys probably know him most, uh, well, I think it, most people know it, know him based on the 1971 television series starring Richard Roundtree. And then it came back around 2000 starring uh, Samuel L. Jackson as a movie. But it's actually based on novels, and I actually had no idea about that. So uh, the novels were written by Ernest Tidyman, and uh, David Walker is going to be working on that project for Dynamite, and he's really excited about it, and it seems that the fans are too. So uh, give everything a listen, and uh, hopefully the audio is okay, but, um, you know, recording live is not always the easiest thing ever, so uh, feel free to... Let me know what you think, and let me know what Dynamite projects you're looking forward to. So, this is the uh, Dynamite 10th Anniversary <laughs> Celebration <laughs> Panel.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, you're right, female sensibility. i terrified of um, I am Molly Mahan. I am the Associate Editor at, at Dynamite, and I will also be the uh, panel host, moderator, I guess. Uh, would
2: each of you introduce yourselves uh, for the show? Guys first. <laughs> <laughs> Tim. Uh, I'm Tim Seely. Uh, do you have to say what we do or anything? What do you want? Yeah, to yeah. Mention, All right,
1: mention your projects, please. Okay. The Dynamite. Well, ones. Only
2: Dynamite. Right, yeah. right, right. I don't okay. care about Batman.
1: <laughs> All right, right, fair enough. My
2: name's <laughs> yeah. um, Tim Seeley. I, I'm writing. I wrote the Chaos series for. Di- Dynamite which just rap, right? Yep. Did that wrap? Okay. Uh, yeah, that rap? Okay.
1: yeah, And I'm
2: co-writing Evil Ernie with my brother Steven doing covers for that and first issue came
1: yeah. out yesterday I believe. Sweet, there we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Frank Barbarian. I write Solar and MBH and something else
4: that's not gonna
1: yeah, don't talk about that yet. Wow. So. Okay, let's all <laughs> out the,
5: the
4: future. <laughs> My name is Greg Pak, and uh, back in the day, I wrote the Battlestar Galactica tie-in series, uh, the, uh, for the tied into the new show for Dynamite, and um, I am now writing uh, Turek for Dynamite, um, and uh, uh, and actually co-writing this next arc of Turek with the great Paul Tobin.
6: Yay. I'm David Walker. I've got a. Doc Savage Special Edition. It's not doesn't really star Doc Savage. It's got Pat Savage in it, and um, (laughs) which is like I fell in love with Pat Savage. She's like the greatest superhero of all time, even though she never got to be a superhero. Now she does. And then, but the big thing is, I'm writing Shaft. First issue comes out in December. Hello, I'm Gail
5: Simone. (laughs) (laughs) Dynamite and was involved with the Legends of Red Sonia and um uh, short story and fairy tales. And then also we have a women of dynamite crossover event spectacular coming up called Swords of Sorrow that I'm writing, so I about that. Lots of
1: body parts. Some of those body parts will be holding swords. Hopefully, they're taking some fun. Okay, so in the past year or so, uh, Dynamite has rebooted and relaunched a multitude of our titles and several universes that didn't start with us. Um, uh, As a writer, what is it like to reestablish characters and worlds with decades of history? Were any of you fans of the content before uh, you started writing them? And if not, what kind of research did you do prior? And is there any fear... Editor question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Years of research. Years right. of research, right? <laughs> uh, and is there ever any uh, fear of, uh, of, or f- of fan pressure uh, for, to do it right, to do their version, their understanding of the characters? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs>
4: I'll, I'll take a plunge. Um, I, uh, I. So I'm writing Turk for Dynamite, and um, the. Uh, it's Turric Dinosaur Hunter. Some people know I always say Turrock. Turrock. You say Turrock. Are I say Well, You say pecan well, or pecan. Yeah, it's so. Pock. Yeah. Greg Pock writes Turrock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, turrock just sounds more keen, man. It does. It does. It sounds. Turrock. Anyway, um, I'm writing it. It's called Turric.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> and, uh, so, um, but some of you may remember it from the the video games that came out a number of years ago. Uh, earlier generations may remember it from uh, different uh, comic book series. And then, if you are uh, if, if you are getting up there, you may remember it from the '50s because it was a gold <laughs> key book back in the, in the '50s called Turek, Son of Stone*. Uh, and uh, so, I had actually I knew the character from mid-90s or so, and I had a couple of issues. I, it was not a book I read a lot because I wasn't um, that, it, it came out during a time when I actually wasn't reading a lot of, uh, of comics uh, shockingly enough um, but uh, when uh, Nate Cosby called me up and said hey, we we're looking at reviving these gold key characters, what about Turok Dinosaur Hunter and I was like, Native American fighting dinosaurs I am in um, it, I mean, how many times are you going to get an offer to write a Native American character, first off? How many times are you going to get an offer to write Anybody Fighting Dinosaurs <laughs> issue after issue? Uh, so, it was, it, was a, it was a no-brainer, it was just a ton of fun. Um, I, for research, I went back and I, I actually re- uh, read a lot of the original Turok Son of Stone books. Um, just because I hadn't, I hadn't seen those, and, I, and they're hilarious. I mean, they're awesome, because basically they're just obsessed with killing and eating. It's like he just travels from like he's lo- he's in a lost valley. You know, he f- he stumbles into a lost valley. It's kind of like land of the lost, and um, he just travels through this lost valley, killing and eating things. Uh, and that's, that's just what happens. Like they they eat all kinds of different kinds of dinosaurs. They eat different prehistoric mammals. They eat giant snakes. They eat giant fish. Um, but but I, it just appealed to me because it, I, I was a Boy Scout and I grew up in Texas and spent a lot of time outside and and just that outdoors vitalness of it, just was a huge amount of fun, so I wanted to bring that to it. But then I, um, and I read a few issues of the other books in the, you know, that had come out over the years. I honestly avoided reading too much of those, because the great thing was that Nate Cosby, the editor, basically said, carte blanche, you know, I mean, you take this concept and do what feels right. And, um, and the thing that I thought when I thought Native Americans, dinosaurs, it, it just raises a huge number of questions, and of how is it that a Native American lives at the same time as a dinosaur, and there's a million different answers to that, and the choice we made was to go with sending it in the New World, spoiler alert, uh, and the dinosaurs are being brought over by Crusaders in the year 1210, uh, and they're using the dinosaurs as like a biological weapon to fight, you know, to, to wipe out the Native Americans, and try to steal their, their gold, which they actually don't have. Uh, uh, so, um, but, but the, um, but that opportunity to just kind of reimagine it was—I was all over that, and I didn't really worry too much about previous stuff because the mandate I'd been given by the editor was just to go go crazy, and to to, and also because the character, frankly, had been reinvented multiple times over the years, so that's part of the tradition of this character, and frankly, the tradition of almost all. Uh, all characters that have lasted this long. You know, every character you love was totally something different once. Batman used a gun once upon a time. You know what I mean? Superman killed people. And those early like Superman comics, they all change over the years, so I, um, I'm happy to to do that. I might just... Because I'm also doing.
3: A gold Whoops, key. you just unplugged. <laughs> I was like, I don't hear anything, but I'll talk about it. But uh, just because I'm also doing a gold key book, I do uh, Solar, and as uh, Greg said, our editor Nate didn't want us to feel bogged down by just the different interpretations of this character that have been. And literally came to me, he's like, "What do you know about Solar?" I'm like, you "Know what he looks like." <laughs> and he's like, "Me too. Let's do whatever we want." And I read a lot of the character. I got more familiar, and a lot of the stuff I felt like had been done over and over. We had so much of this like lone man wandering space, like just one wondering the existential crisis of life and being just so super powered and. What I thought in discussing Nate is I really want to make about family. Like, how could we ground this? And oh, well, if we made it about family and the relationships between family, it would be much more interesting. And from that, we spun into having a whole new Solar. So our new Solar is actually uh, classic Solar's daughter, Erica. And starting in issue five in our new arc, we really have been just exploring the character in such a great way, and I really have come to love it, and I think our readership is really starting to get, like, okay, she is the main character of the book now. This wasn't just, like, a stunt or any kind of just cute thing to try to do, but she is Solar, and we gave her a new costume. She has a new all-white costume, so she stands out from Red Solar, and it's really just been a blast, and I've been so happy to kind of take this classic character and my own character within it, which is maybe the most scary thing you could do for fans because you never know how they're going to react. But uh, by doing so, we found this really great dynamic for the book where uh, classic Solar Phil is still there and he's kind of in a ghost form that only Erica can see. So we have this father-daughter argument. And as the relationship is evolving, it's really great to just have them talking and no one else able to see them. It's gotten us a lot of really great moments of comedy. But... uh, we just kind of went for it and we're so glad to see fans of the character taking a chance and enjoying it and looking at it for what it is not just <laughs> being annoyed that oh this isn't like the solar comics i read in the 90s etc but uh, if you haven't checked out really say like we're hitting our stride we have a new artist jonathan Lau, who's already done about three or four issues that haven't come out yet and he is just kicking it up so so incredibly it's beautiful and I feel like we're really taking the time to explore the character. We didn't have to rush through anything. Thankfully, again, there were no weird editorial mandates, and I'm really proud of it, so I hope you guys check it out.
2: Well, I, I can go through the, I had the opposite with uh, the chaos stuff. I actually read the hell out of that when I was a teenager. So. Um, when they when and I first got the Chaos stuff, I was sort of the first person anybody asked because everybody knows I'm like the only one who read that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, as that works in comics anyway, because I think most people who work in comics were reading like Vertigo books. That's how they became great writers, right? As they read Vertigo books in the 90s, and and then they, they become, and I was the guy reading Chaos books and listening to Danzig, you know. <laughs> um, but so going to do the, when Dynamite said we can do kind of anything we want with this and all that had existed was an Evil learning series, um, I just kind of, you know, took what I remember the most about the stuff because I figured that was the most important. Like, I didn't spend a lot of time rereading all the books, even though I had read most of them, you know, 20 years before. But figuring that the stuff that anyone would remember the most or the things that really sort of... Were important about the characters were the stuff that sort of stuck out in my head, um, so that was kind of stuff I distilled into. And then you know I, I picked up like the old Chaos Bible and picked up little details to to use. But in general, it was like more of the you know I think when you're when you are rebooting something when you're something, I think the job is to you know keep the soul of the story there, but um, you're trying to tell something new. So as long as the the heart of it is the same and the um, what worked about it is the same. You, know, you can, like, One of the things that was always great about Ernie was that evil Ernie is a guy who's like, sure he does whatever the hell he wants. Um, but he's also, and he's incredibly terrible, right? But he's also like thinks he's doing it for a good reason. That you had to keep. But the thing that the book always had a problem was that Ernie's mission was always to destroy the world. So at a certain point, you had to get to the story where you're like, well, does Ernie destroy the world and we're done? <laughs> um, so I thought, well, we should get rid of that because that is a problem. So we fixed that. So you can you, know, you keep the, the heart of it, and you you tweak the things that you think someone else figured out was oh that wasn't a good idea.
4: Just real real quick, I, I should say that I I want to say that the uh, the readers have been incredibly cool. You know what I mean? I, and I think it's because of it's similar to what Tim is saying that readers, if you stay, if if you if you stay true to the heart of the character. The certain details people are fine with with things tweaking you know what I mean like but but the you know finding the heart of the character being true to that I think it's uh, that that's
6: one of the challenges and one of the fun parts actually okay uh, so well I was kind of in a unique position because shaft has never been done in comics before um, most people know him from either know the movies the original movies from the 70s or that really crappy movie from the 2000 um, <laughs> And not a lot of people know that it's actually that Shaft was actually a series of books. There were seven novels by Ernest Tidyman, and like I'm the hardcore psychotic fan of the Ernest Tidyman books. That that was my dream. Um, when Darwin Cook started doing the those Parker graphic novels, I was like, okay, this is kind of what I'd like to be doing with Shaft, you know? And so uh, I really immersed myself in the books. Reread the books, and then. Ernest Heideman passed away like 30 something years ago he's been gone a while but his widow was still alive so I established a relationship with her and you know we started talking about stuff and one of the things she told me was that for Ernest John Shaft was like his best friend who would just come over for dinner and drinks and tell him stories and and I kind of kept that in mind and so now I, but I'm more like Shaft's th- therapist now um, <laughs> and you know in the movies the movie's this, the character's very one dimensional, but in the books, he's a Vietnam vet. He's, you know, was, was a juvenile delinquent in and out of the uh, foster care. And so I took a lot of that sort of stuff and, and really started exploring, like, this darker side of this guy. Because, like, in the books, every book, he's just killing. He's like James Bond. He's got a license to kill, only he's in New York City. And he kills a bunch of people, and the cops come by, and they're like, oh, so you killed five guys. Okay. Um, and, and like yeah it's, it's like that simple and so what I was, get, I was getting into is like okay here is this guy who's a killing machine he's, he's a lot like the Punisher actually he was the Punisher before there was the Punisher um and he was black so he was the black Punisher um and so I'm kind of playing with that. I'm playing with this notion of this Vietnam vet, this, this kid who goes to Vietnam and he comes back. And so the first story arc that we're doing takes place before the original novel, takes place before the film took place. And it's, it's sort of getting into how this, this guy is acclimating to the world again, and he doesn't really know what to do. He knows how to kill people, and that's about it. Um, and he also is actually really smart and really perceptive, and so he sort of stumbles in to becoming a private detective. And in terms of, like, you know, the fans, like, I don't care. You know, it's like, ah, uh, if someone wants to fight me, I can do that, you know. But I don't, I don't get into the, the arguments with people online or anything. There's been a couple people who have said some stuff, and I, everybody's expecting me to do, like, Black Dynamite, I think. And there's, like... Nothing. I just met Molly for the first time face to face, and one of the first things she said was, "There's a lot of swear words in your book." Okay. <laughs> so, um, but it's it's it, like really, uh, and I've been studying the history of New York yeah. organized I, crime. I learned a
1: swear word from
6: his book. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I, I've been immersing myself in the history of organized crime in New York, and also going back and revisiting history because what's interesting is the books were written between 1969 and 1975. And so there were so many things that happened in American history during that time span that when the books were written, like, Ernest Heideman didn't know everything that was going on because history, a lot of times, we, we are removed from it. So, you know, I have all these notes of, like, okay, so what was Shaft do, doing during Watergate? Like, not necessarily will I do anything with Watergate at any point, but it's just pretty interesting because, like, there's there's so much rich history in this city alone and then in the U.S., and so, trying to figure out ways to incorporate the two. So, I won't spoil what the first story is about, but it's something really iconic in terms of New York City history that I knew nothing about. I guarantee most of you knew nothing about, and you'll be like really blown away. I think you just sold everybody. Yes, yeah, pre- and, and, and pre order it, because it uh, comes out <laughs> December 1st. <laughs> pre order it. We've got how I many, like 27 variant covers, I think, something. <laughs> so there's a
1: cover for everyone in your family. <laughs> <laughs> Please pick
6: it. Who's drawn it, dude?
1: Uh, Bil- Quist Evely is yes. drawing it. She previously did uh, Doc Savage by Chris Roberson. Oh, she's awesome. And
6: she's bringing, like, her, like the, the Doc Savage stuff was good. Like, really good. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, she was phoning in on Doc Savage. <laughs> like, like, she's bringing her A game. And it's one of those things, like... Um, not to digress but you know when you're, when you're writing comics and then you see the art for the first time and you're like wow this is so awesome who wrote this and then you're like, oh I wrote this <laughs> but this person took it to a whole new level and that's what she's doing it's just like blowing my mind um, well the, the, my story with Red
5: Sony starts a little bit a while ago um, I've always liked barbarian stories whether they were novels, films comic books whatever, it's just one of the genres that I've always loved. And Nick, who's the publisher of Dynamite, is like the Energizer bunny, and it it doesn't matter if you say no, he'll just keep asking and asking. And (laughs) I I was under contract for quite a while and and couldn't do anything outside of DC. And as soon as um, my contract was up, he was on the phone and he was like, what do you want to do, what do you want to do? And Red Sonja was offered. And the truth is, is there's two characters that I literally could be in a hospital bed uh, death's door and if I was asked to write them I'd say you bet I'll have the script you know as soon as possible as soon as I could use my hand and that's uh, Black Canary and Red Sonia. they're just two of my favorites uh, writing Red Sonia has been the most fun just out and out fun that I've ever had and one of the reasons is that um, with Dynamite you, you take them an idea and you no know, matter how kind of seemingly out there that it is they almost always go, yes, let's do that. And taking a fun character and mixing that with it has just made it just incredibly fun. And as far as researching her character, you know, I saw the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I I read the Robert E. Howard things that, you know, the the flavor of of that. I've I've sampled the Red Sunny stories before. And when I was going back and doing the research, and I just, I loved, you know, the setting. I I loved the grittiness of it. And um, I... Called Dynamite and I said, "Well, I have to talk to you about something." And I'm sure Nick was like, "She's gonna like, lose the chainmail bikini." It's <laughs> <And>, um, <laughs> like, I, I just, I really don't want to have that rape origin. I don't think it's fitting for today's audience. And I really don't want to have that. She'll only lay with me with the best friend battle because that just is too many. <laughs> 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 and, um, and they're like, "Okay, fine." And then I said, "And the other thing." start talking about covers, and I said, the other thing is, you know, reading all these we, these stories that were written, um, all these Red Slimming stories were written by great writers, they're great stories, but I really feel like it could use a female touch. Uh, I feel like it, that could really enhance her character and add a lot of depth and fun and, and, and um, empowerment and everything to it. And so I said, instead of doing variant covers like you normally do, can we do all female and they're like, What do you mean? I said like all of them. Like let's ask all, literally know, all of them. Yeah, let's there let's were thirty th- about thirty two different covers yeah, for each let <laughs> one. let's let, you know. And so I, they said, okay, well, give us a list of who you think. And so I wrote a list, and um, I think Dynamite started calling, and I think everyone pretty much said yes. Am I yeah. right? You know. And so we got all these fantastic Red Sonja covers done by the best female artists in the industry, and I'm so proud of all of them. And then Jenny Prison is doing like the regular one and Stephanie Buscema does the one that's for retailers and then we have a bunch of variants throughout and they're all amazing, amazing takes on Red Sonia, and all, so many females have their hands on Red Sonia now but, and She's full of female touch everywhere
1: <laughs>
5: uh, But yeah, it's just been really fun to, to take her to that level
1: So I'm glad that each of you answered all my follow-up questions and the <laughs> original <laughs> question that I had so We're well
4: trained in working our pi- our, our our big heavy pitch <laughs> into the first question because that's the first one people are going to read
1: when they read the interview. I appreciate so. it. Uh, so, um, David, you mentioned artists and working with artists. Uh, Tim, since I do my research, your Twitter feed, you refer to yourself as an artist first. What's it You're like? Uh, yeah, you say, I'll yeah, change turns it. up. <laughs> 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 you say I, uh, comics artist who writes, and then you say revival oh. and Batman. And, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> mention chaos I'm hoping uh, but uh, what's it like working with artists uh, from your perspective as an artist do they tell when they tell the story a little differently than you might
2: uh, it's it's a combination of I mean, I'm sure you know you even if you don't draw I think you're probably the same reaction um, it's a combination of like like elation when you see something that's better than you thought and then total disappointment when it's not as good as you thought or it doesn't come as you know um, but you it's a collaborative medium, so the whole point of comics is obviously that you know people work together to produce something that takes way longer than a month. In a month, so you have to have some overlap in that. <laughs> Um But yeah, I mean, it's it's again. Yeah, sometimes I, you know I I I, I want to mix things up, and sometimes like with chaos, I think you and I talked about how we didn't want it to look like the cast books from the '90s, which were always drawn by like these guys who had you know, they, they tend to come from like this one studio, um, and so they all kind of drew the same, and um, we thought, let's let's try something different, because, you know, that so defined, that look. So um, so we went way in the opposite direction, I think. But uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes you want to, you know, you want to see something maybe through a different filter, which is kind of, you know, and in comics you can really do that. It's, a, it's, it's you know, there's such vast, differences in artistic styles that you can really um, experiment and see some really crazy stuff. And, and you know, God us Molly for letting me try out some weird shit.
1: <laughs> I think it turned out. You guys have been reading Chaos, right? Turned out? Did well? Yeah? All right. Okay. Thanks. Okay. So, uh, this question kind of goes to both Frank and David. You both letter your books. Yeah. How did, how did you get into that?
3: Well, like everyone, when I started. Writing my own comics, I was very poor, and I'm like, you have to pay someone for that?" And, no, I figured it out. So <laughs> <laughs> I learned to letter, and it taught me so much about storytelling and about page composition. I'm actually very glad I did, and I still love to do it when I can. I was so glad to do it with Solar, and uh, actually, in the Volume One trade, there's the script I wrote in the back, which is drastically different dialogue-wise from the final issue, and I. I if we were going to edit it and make it read just like the issue, I'm like, no, I think it's a lot more interesting for people to be able to see all the script changes made. Because I'm the letterer, we don't have to worry about killing some other person by giving them a the million <laughs> notes. It could just be me and my editor, Nate, talking back and forth. Then it gives you a really fun control on the page. Like, you almost have final cut because you are the last person looking at it. It also has to make you own any mistake on the page. I normally can't say, like, oh, a letter messed up. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun to be involved as a writer because so many times you're very separate from the art. And when you do the lettering, it really does bring you into the process and you control a lot of flow. And you get to see a lot of the amazing work that your collaborators do by seeing how sometimes how easy it is to letter the books, even when the dialogue heavy. But uh, I enjoy it a lot. And with Solar, we... Uh, we did a bit of a crazy thing where we have all these equations that uh, Solar uses to use science to solve Are problems. Are those legitimate equations? Yeah, we have. I mean, you can't actually make a force field with it, but Wait. that's close to it. Everyone always asks that. Uh, the origin of it, though, is I wrote, and you'll see in the original script, I wrote equation in parentheses because I hadn't looked it up yet. And I was going to write fake stuff, and I let my twin brother read it. He's like, are those fake equations? I'm like, yeah. He's like, Alan Moore was buying the real equation. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, all right, I see where you're at. That, but uh, we have a science consultant. He's actually a chemistry teacher. So I talk with him a lot about, like, oh, well, what would be probable? And it's fun that if someone does move that equation, they'll be like, oh, they didn't just write the thing. But uh, it was nice to be able to do that. And I had to learn how to, like, I literally had to ask him, like, what font can I do, like, delta and, like, gamma signs <laughs> with? A, but I had but
4: ask yeah.
3: It, but But it, it's really a fun thing to do if you have the time and, again, the capacity because, sure, as, as you notice, it gives you that level of control and that level of just kind of being a little more involved that but be fun. But uh, conversely, I found when I don't letter my books, I can be actually a little more objective sometimes because it takes me out of it, so it's fun to do both. And I also letter some other books. It just reminded me of a
2: thing which was, you were talking about having a science consultant, but I was on the way to a convention in Mexico and I sat next to a guy who was a black hole physicist. I was like, oh my god, I have to
6: use this.
2: <laughs> so I talked to the guy for like two and a half hours just because like I'll never <laughs> sit you know, next now, yeah. to a black hole physicist ever in my life. <laughs> so somehow I'm gonna use this. Um, my dad's a physicist too, but
6: he was like, I guess you can do this, and he talked too much, so I find high school, <laughs> I'm in <the> high school. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty much the same thing with me. I was I was doing a book for another publisher. And uh, there was no budget to pay a letterer, and so it was like, okay, well, I could ask somebody to do it for free, and they could potentially totally screw it up, or I could learn how to do it, and then if it's screwed up, it's my fault. But you know, I'd rather take the heat for that. So, so that was how it started, and it was a, a real crash course. Um, but I did. I found that like, it, it, it t- for me, it took my writing up to a new level because I'm looking at the art and I'm going, you know, I can write better than what I've written and, and you know sometimes like I'm one of those people who, who leave out there'll, there'll be nothing on a certain panel no dialogue or anything and then you get it and the art is so amazing and you realize that the average fan is going to just skip past this panel because they really don't look at pages as much if there's not writing on it so it's like okay can I put something on here that's not contrived that actually works for the story that'll keep the reader on this panel focus just for just for a few seconds, and then and it's also placement, you know. It's, it's so there's all kinds of things, but yeah, my the the, uh, the script of shaft number one versus what's going to be on the page, I'd say there's probably like a thirty percent difference, a lot more profanity in the, the final. <laughs> in, so, um, like, but Cover
1: yeah. censorship, though, on some of those words. Yeah.
6: But yeah, no, but it's it's it is for me. It's also like really zen because it just. Um, you, you like I, 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 I tried to be an artist. I'm a failed artist, um, but I've actually been drawing Shaft in my my free time. And I was talking to I'm good friends with Mike Oming, and he was like, "Why are you doing that?" And I was like, "Cause it, like I feel like I'm getting to know the character better." And it's the same thing like with lettering. Like sometimes I don't know if you do this like the dialogue with the character I'll be like. This doesn't sound like what this character would say. I need to rewrite this because I'm looking at the character now and I've got a. So yeah, I'm, I'm like really nutty. I'm like a method writer. <laughs> or your editor, Nate Cosby, tells you this joke still isn't
3: funny. Oh my God, I'll get there. <laughs> uh,
1: so I want to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, writing, co-writing, and uh, group writing. Because with Gold Key, uh, with Nate, um, your universe is inclusive one of the few, or it's a shared universe, it's one of the few shared universes we have at Dynamite, um, where we have a, a team of people working with characters that will, at, at some point, interact. Uh, what's it like doing, do you guys have like Skype meetings, or do you just uh, write and pray that uh, Nate will either tell you you're wrong, you can't <laughs> do that, or uh, what?
3: It's nice because uh, Greg, Fred, Nate, and I are all in New York, so we meet in person when we can. that was... Last winter we all met to talk about just share of universe stuff. and I remember it snowed a lot and you guys all live a little closer. Well, I don't think you, but I'm like, guys, there's like six inches of snow out. I can't make it. And they're like, no, you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> I walked in the snow. And snow. But I mean, it's, it's really fun and organic because we didn't have any crazy editorial mandates. It was just like, well, if we're going to do this, let's do it right and grow it naturally. Everyone can be in their own corner and not have to worry about, okay, you should do 3D crossover. we got to do it.
4: Yeah, with those, it's interesting because yes, uh, I mean I've worked on a ton of different crossovers of different kinds over the years for different companies, and um, and yeah, you can do it by email, you can do it by Skype, but nothing beats getting in the same room. It's we're, we are still flesh and blood creatures, and we communicate best when on on these kinds of things when you're when you're right there. There's that kind of a thing where something that sometimes can take you know, god days and days and a hundred stupid emails that. Or misunderstanding each other and getting caught up over some small detail that doesn't matter. That can be avoided in literally three minutes when you're face to face. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's amazing, and it's a lot, it's also frankly fun. I mean, crossover stuff can be exhausting and painful, and, okay. and it can can it, it can kill you. But but it's also um, you know we, we are writers who sit in our little you know dungeons and type all day and. Uh, the opportunity to go and actually talk to fellow writers and pick their brains and have your brain picked, it's, it's actually really inspiring, you know. You l- I, I've learned a lot <laughs> just from being in the room with other smart writers, you know, and uh, it, it's, so it's a its a really cool opportunity. Yeah. And that's what I was
3: it's, and for me too, especially being newer to like being in a room with Fred and Craig was awesome, and I remember we were at Fred's house and he has like a wall of all the crazy right and I'm like, damn Fred, you've written so many <laughs> It it really helps us just kind of find our footing. But uh, just speaking to the actual content of the books, uh, Spectre ended his own series, but he's actually going to be in, I think it's issue 10 of Solar. He's going to be a major character in Solar, which uh, he's on the cover to 10, I believe, which has been really fun because we found a really nice organic way to work him in. And like I said, it wasn't an editorial mandate, but it's cool to have those characters in the world and when you need a character who does X, you can find one who actually, again, resonates. Not have to make up someone who's just paper thin enough.
5: Legends of Red Sonia. it was kind of like, um, I had an idea of what I wanted the connective tissue to be for um, Legends of Red Sonia, and then once we got all the female writers together and they took a piece of it, we just kind of made sure that they weren't going to be too much alike, and then when all the pieces were in, I sat down and wrote the connective story to connect them all. It was so much fun. I mean, when you're working with that level of talent with writers and their individual pieces and then trying to figure out how to make them pop given, you know, the connected story and it was really an amazing experience and I had to edit some a few things because one of the writers who wrote this amazing story and she only had a few pages she was supposed to write and she couldn't figure out how to get it into this few pages so she wrote like a zillion pages to so <laughs> like a prose writer yes, <laughs> yeah, she's a prose writer and so I had to sit down and just oh man, just really figure out how to get those key elements um, really into these two pages. And it was kind of a something I hadn't really done before and I really kind of liked exercising that part of the brain and that part of writing it was fun. And now we're getting ready to work on uh, the, the big Dynamite, Women of Dynamite crossover and um, I've always wanted to run a crossover. I've been involved in tons of them, kind of like Greg, lots of DC crossovers and, and things and I always love to do them. They're fun and you and have a little part in them and <coughs> And uh, just, you know, that's kind of one of the things I've always loved about comics is when things cross over. But with the Women of Dynamite, um, I'm kind of going to be running it a bit, and then one and we have an overarching story, and then we have a bunch of lady writers that are going to come in and do pieces of that story. And so we'll be doing a connecting story through it again. I just love it. It's, a, it's an amazing experience, see how these other writers, how their process works and the wonderful stories they come up with it's a lot of fun it's really exciting and uh, invigorating and, and um, just something that I didn't ever think I would be
1: doing, but I really enjoy being like a showrunner, I guess. That would be a good, good title for it. And. Tim, you're working with your brother. What's it like <laughs> with that
3: dynamic versus
2: like that internal where oh. It's all professional. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Steve Sealy is a oh. He's a
3: professional.
2: Uh, no, it's good. Well, my, um, I actually learned, when we were kids, we used to make comics together, my brothers and I. We'd all sit around a table, and that's kind of like you know, that's my proper training before I got into comics was sitting around my brothers making comics. So um, this is kind of like the adult version of that. Um, but I learned actually a lot from Batman Eternal about how to work with people on, on stories. And um, so I kind of, I think I would have had more trouble with it had I not, you know, gone through with the Batman Eternal machine. Um, but yeah, so my brother and I just, we talk about the character and what we want to see. And then we sit down over beers and we crack out, you know, the sort of rough stuff. And we pass it back and forth a bunch of times. And sooner or later it's a script somehow. Um, yeah, I mean, and he's... See the magic, yeah. But it's not... Uh, um, you know, he's, he he has worked in comics, obviously, before, but he's not... He doesn't have, like, a real formal comic book training, so I kind of... It's kind of nice to see someone kind of just be sort of pure idea machine, like my brother is, and then I can be the guy that has to be like, this has to be a
5: script. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: obviously, he can do that, too, but... Um, yeah, so it's a... Uh, I don't know, it's part of what I wanted to, you know. I think everybody, and that's why there's so much nepotism in Hollywood, because at a certain point you're just like, oh, it'd be nice to work with someone I don't have to
4: explain anything to. <laughs> that's, like, yeah. that's like how half of those John Wayne Westerns got made. You know what I mean? Yeah. would be like, oh, let's all get together and the down and make another movie. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll
1: just wear my own clothes.
4: <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I just plug Paul Tobin a little bit? Real oh, quick, yes, quick. please. Uh, I'm co-writing uh, Turek 9 through 12 with Paul. And um, Paul Tobin is amazing. I, he and I both came up around the same time through Marvel. And we had uh, we were sort of in the same ambit and, and, and hung out a lot. But we had never really worked together directly. Um, uh, I mean, we hadn't co-written like this. But uh, I just one of the glorious things about co-writing is that, and I also co-wrote uh, Incredible Hercules with Fred Van Lente for years and years. And the greatest thing about co-writing, it's like doing improv comedy, where you're on stage, you throw something out there, and the next person makes it beautiful. You know what I mean? It's like that whole yes and thing, uh, which is the central principle of improv. You agree with what came out, and you add to it. And and so constantly, when you're in a good groove co-writing, your partner is gonna find things in what you've done that are beautiful, and polish them up, and make them perfect. You know what I mean? And take it to the next level and it's like, it's like this incredible <laughs> gift. It's like, oh yeah, that was my idea, but now it really works. Yeah. <laughs> it's really awesome now. Um, uh, and, and, and you're doing the same thing for your partner because it's like when you're so close to an idea, it, it can take a long time just to figure out what your great idea is on your own. And if you have somebody who's really good and, and the two of you are clicking, that, that just happens quicker
2: in, in this kind of that, critical, that way. That clicking thing, when you do get to collaborate and stuff, that clicking thing is that reaffirmation that, like, oh, yeah, humans are supposed to be together. Like, <laughs> those are the moments where you're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. See how this works. We're supposed to be, like, in tribes, throwing out ideas of how to get away from touching pet- tiger
5: tigers. <laughs> <laughs>
4: this is what we're supposed to do. Paul's doing amazing stuff. Turek goes to England in the next issue. So, the, you know, in, 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 the, in that first uh, arc, the English came over. Now he's going over there. And the whole legend of Robin Hood has a totally different origin in this uh, in this particular universe.
1: And Gail, you're currently writing uh, co-writing uh, Conan Red Sonia for Dark Horse. What's it like working with Jim? Uh, it's
5: great. Jim uh, is great. We have kind of a great rhythm together and an energy, and it's fun because you, you turn in the outline, you both work on the outline, you turn in, and, and give each other comments on it. And I think the whole overall. Uh, story becomes a much better thing by having both inputs um, especially when you're really working well together and understand understanding each other, um, storytelling principles. And uh, it's, it's just been a delight, and I can't wait until the issues come out and you guys get to see them because they're drawn beautifully and exciting, and the stories span a good deal of time. So we see Conan and Red Sony
1: interacting in the plot. And I'm going to open it up to questions Do we have time for questions? Five minutes Excellent But I have one more question for Greg Mm -hmm. Because uh, I don't get to participate in the uh, gold key books ever Stegosaurus, where?
4: You know, that's an excellent question We haven't had Stegosaurus uh, in the book yet um, because it doesn't have big teeth. You know? <laughs> it doesn't have big teeth. I mean, it can hit you it with those
3: spikes. On it's an herbivore.
4: feel You know, what board, board. It's you know what? It's although actually, now that I think about it, I think that uh, in issue in issue ten, I think there is a Stegosaurus actually. <laughs> I think there is. I think there is. I also. Yeah, we do have terror birds, giant terror birds, <laughs> in issue uh, number eight. So if you ever want to see a bunch of giant terror birds fight a bunch of uh, velociraptors, that's where you that's that's where you will see that. It
1: okay.
4: And, and uh, Genghis Khan is in the middle of all that too. In issue. Yeah. That, that just came out, I think. So,
1: questions? Anybody?
6: Um, I have a for you, but I say, Gale, at some point, do Conan and Redstone look at each other and be like, "Wow, we should really put on clothes." <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> like the both of us, we are naked a like, wow. lot. <laughs>
3: Only if it's
5: super, super cold. <laughs> yeah,
3: it's like winter, and Conan just
6: has no shirt. But then on. they may no. just
5: cuddle. I don't know. Um, or fight.
6: So, so you have Shaft coming home after the war, and that seems like such an amazing opportunity—a uh, character that you that you don't ever get to see in comics, which is. A black man coming home from Vietnam and, and with some kind of PTSD finding his place in the world. I mean, is it that level where you going out and yeah talking to soldiers and being like, what has your experience been? Oh yeah, no. I, I had a about a month ago I sat down with a Vietnam vet and then didn't sleep for like two weeks afterwards yeah. because it was like um at some point, we're, dying, like we're talking about doing an actual story arc that's set in Vietnam, the Chronicles' of times there, but I wanted to make sure that like, there was there was some substance to it and, um, you know, and again doing a lot of research too, but there's like, I can't remember which one we said it's like talking to another person is completely different, it's like you can read about the Vietnam War all you want, but then to talk to a guy who was, you know, special forces, did three tours of duty, who had 32 confirmed kills before he turned 20 and it's like you know, and I'm sitting there the whole time going, Oh my god, this is like, maybe I got into too much. And he's like telling me, No, I, I went to my therapist first and she gave me the list of things that it was okay for me to talk about. Oh, and, um, and it was amazing. And then, and so that helped me feel like I knew that character a little bit better because it's also like, um, when Casino Royale came out and suddenly it was like people were seeing a James Bond movie that was more like the books and it was like, oh, this is why he's like that so it's like, why is Shaft sleeping around with every woman in New York and, and you know, like no emotional connections and we're going to get into that too so yeah
3: So it seems your book, if it had trigger warnings, it would be like, like yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly <laughs> It would be like,
6: seriously <laughs> But yeah, no, it's fun it's, it's, It is like being his therapist so it's cool It's <laughs> cool
3: But uh, you just think of the emotions involved and how that situation would go and just really, I don't know, I think a big part of writing is empathy and understanding how someone with a certain kind of drive would respond. And I think of my own relationship with my father. I think of my sibling's relationship with my own father. I think of just so many different scenarios. And I I find it in also lettering, just reading it constantly and hearing it, like hearing the music of it that helps us keep it very authentic, and it, it's such an interesting thing to write dialogue in comics because most of it's read and people hear it in their heads, but they don't necessarily hear it out loud. But I think if you do read it back, which every writer knows, read the dialogue out loud, you can really create something authentic. But for me, it's always about emotion and understanding. And part of why I love lettering too is you get to see the acting the artist will bring to the page, and that really can help your dialogue so so much when they really can sell that emotion.
6: Yeah, and I, with me, it's just. I I, uh, I just remember what my uncles and my you know cousins all talked like during the seventies, and then I've got a really good friend, and I'm older than I look, so I was actually alive <laughs> back then. Um, and then one of my best friends is from Patterson, New Jersey, and so whenever it comes to like Italian profanity, because there's it's, it's always shaft against the mafia, I just email them, okay, how do how do you say this? <laughs> you know, what's the proper term? And so there's this list, and that's that's it. But yeah, it's a lot of talking out loud. And it's like really, um, for me, it's a lot of fine tuning. It's like, you know, getting like Shaft is a man of few words. So I'll look and I'll go, there's too many words in this word book. How can I get rid of half of them and still have him get the point across? And sorry, but
1: thank you all for coming.